Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Giving Starts With You podcast. I'm your host, Nelia Hutt, and I am so, so happy that you have joined us for another episode. This show is all about learning how we can give to ourselves and how can we survive through life so that we can then turn around and help other people. And today I have a very special guest on. Her name is Marianne C., uh, Marianne, t- she's joining us from Portugal, which is, with this, which is phenomenal. How are you, Marianne? I'm great. Thank you, Neil, and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. Um, Marianne is the author of Love is the Healer. She is also a private intuitive therapy coach. Um, she's taught in several Australian universities teaching nursing and medical students about what she calls the whole person healing which is healing that is just more than just getting rid of symptoms or a condition. It's about healing broken hearts, distraught minds, and also overwhelming emotions. Uh, Marianne at one point, point in her life was labeled as permanently and totally disabled by the U.S. government. Um, she's got a fascinating um, story to share with us and and some discoveries that she's made along the way that I think is really going to help you um, listening to this podcast. So I am so excited that you're here. And uh, yeah, welcome to the community. (laughs) Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And I'm sure they're all over the world, huh? (laughs) Yes, that's true. Yes, thank you. So yeah, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, when you when you said to me that you were labeled as permanently and totally disabled by the U.S. government. Like, I hear you now, and you sound very intelligent. You sound very, you know, easy to talk to. Like, can you explain to me the story behind that? Yes. Uh, the label was given to me because I weighed um, 32 kilos or 68 pounds, and the government gives that label to people who whom they feel will never be able to work again because of their condition. I was that low in weight because my body had become overwhelmed with allergy or sensitivity to everything around it. Paper, pen, pencils, clothes, mattresses, everything that I got near would cause my stomach to tighten up and I couldn't eat. Now, Um, This condition of chemical sensitivity is not that unique. Many, many people are walking around today with low-level symptoms, sore throats, headaches, stomach pain, arthritis, all kinds of symptoms that do in fact relate to the overloading in the air, food, and water by chemicals, chemicals that never existed on the earth before 1950. So I was one of those people who was highly sensitive to all these chemicals, probably even as a child. But as a child, my mother took me to the pediatrician and every time I was sick, I got more and more antibiotics for everything from a common cold to strep throat, just more and more antibiotics, which weakened my immune system. The straw that broke the camel's back was uh, an accident. I was walking home in a blizzard, I was 25, in Michigan, I couldn't see, and a driver couldn't see me, and she hit me quite strongly, um, hit my head, her her car hit my body on the left side. And within a few days of that car accident, I couldn't eat. So my doctor explained to me that as a child, I had been very sensitive emotionally, very sensitive to chemicals, 
overwhelmed with antibiotics that weakened my immune system, and the car accident was the straw that broke the camel's back. And so by the time I was 68 pounds, the United States government deemed me unable to ever work again and awarded me that label and a pension for the rest of my life, as long as I continued to be that sick. Wow. That's quite the story. Mm -hmm. It's not something I've heard very much about. So I'm fascinated, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this chemical insensitivity. And when you describe it as, you know, it's not as unique. And when you say the, you know, the lighter symptoms of it, you start to realize how, how common it actually is. But to the yeah. extent that you have suffered with that, uh, you know, I hadn't heard of that before. So thank you for sharing that with us. You're very welcome. And unfortunately, modern medicine would be inclined not to address the environment around the person. The model of modern medicine is to go to the symptom and get rid of the symptom. But unfortunately, we cannot separate the person from her thoughts, her feelings, what she eats, what she breathes, what she drinks. We simply cannot do it. Health is a function of that relationship. So I was very lucky, literally, to fall into the lap. I mean, it was a miracle of a doctor who was trained in environmental medicine. And she asked me things like, how do you feel when you polish your nails? I said, oh, I love that smell. She said, how do you feel when you put um, gas in your car, petrol in your car? I said, oh, I love that smell. As a child, I used to put my head out the window and I smell, I love it. And so she kept asking me. And by the end, she said, Miss Kens, that was my maiden name, you're extraordinarily sensitive to petrochemicals and you're hopelessly allergic to milk and wheat. And I fought the diagnosis. I thought she was crazy. I really thought she was nuts. I just was waiting for some drugs so I could eat better. And, um, but everything she said to me on that day was absolutely true. And the sign to her that I was so sensitive is I was getting high on the smell of the chemicals. I, I mean, I didn't deliberately go and um, smell nail polish, I assure you, but every time I was exposed to a chemical, it would give me a rush. Interesting. Hmm. I'm learning so much today. So, um, so what, so what happened next? How did you need to change your life in order to, for things to improve? <laughs> I'm laughing because I still see myself walking out of her office on that day. And she told me to go home, rip up the synthetic carpet, get rid of all my clothes that were, were not cotton, wool, linen, or silk, get rid of all my cosmetic soap, everything that wasn't completely natural, quit my job, and the list went, and then start eating asparagus and God knows something else that I'd never, never eaten in my life. And I came home and my neighbor asked me how it went. I said, she's crazy. Wow. She, she's crazy. She thinks my carpet has to do with my stomach pain. What, is she nuts? So I did nothing, absolutely nothing. And uh, then uh, a few months later, I you know, it was very severe. I was if I was lucky, I was eating one grain of rice a day, if I was lucky. And of course, I looked like I was near death. I could hardly walk. And I got up the courage to call her. And she asked me, have you done what I asked you to do? I said, no, I haven't done anything. And she said, okay, um, we're going to put you in the hospital and uh, put you on an IV uh, just to get nutrition in you. But nobody will be allowed to go in the room if they're wearing any perfume. And she went on and on about that stuff. I really, at that point, Nelia, I didn't care what the hell she said. I just, I just wanted to survive. You're grasping, so, yeah. Yeah, so I just followed whatever she said. I went into the hospital. I stayed there a month on an IV. I didn't eat. I curled up in the fetal position. And finally, I got strong enough. And she said, all right, now we're going to have to talk about you going home. And she said, the first thing is the gas stove has to be taken out. And I thought, oh, God, she's mental. What does a gas stove have to do with this? But at this point, I, I had to listen. She had been too good to me. I had to pay attention to it. Surrender. So the gas, to it. Mm. Yeah, I had to. You know, I had to say, I have to give it a try. Whatever the hell she's saying, I have to try it because she's kind, she's knowledgeable, and she really believes this is the problem. So to finish the story, a friend took the gas stove out, capped it at the main. I came home. I gained 10 pounds in six days. Wow. So then I said, oh, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. <laughs> Literally everything she said, oh, then I did everything she said. So, you know, it took me a while to get the, my head around the fact that we have an enormous amount of chemicals in the air, food, and water. 
and uh, they do affect some of us. Yeah, like I would have had the same reaction you did when you left her office. Like, who wouldn't? You know, yeah, most of yeah. us would would be like, "What is she talking about?" Because we don't know what we don't know, right? Like, we That's so true, and we're afraid of the unknown sometimes, and we resist it. But when you have nowhere to go, but but up, like you were saying, you needed to just surrender to this person. It's like if anything is is better than this, right? And also I saw the love in her eyes. Mm. I saw the love in this woman's eyes. She wasn't trying to prove a point. She was trying to help me. Mm. So I just knew it's time. Listen and do what she says. Wow. And how did you find her? I was walking home one day from work. And of course, I had to resign from work at a certain point. And I stopped into a health food store. And I really looked very, you know, when you're under 70 pounds, you, you, you don't look too good. And I walked into the health food store and I was just staring at the shelf, shelf of supplements. I think a tear was in my eye because I, I just felt there's got to be on this something on this shelf that would help me. And the owner came over and he looked at me and he said, you need to see a doctor. And I said, I've already seen a doctor. They said, I have to be patient. I was hit by a car. They said, I have to be patient. It was a very big trauma. And they said, no, no, I don't mean that kind of doctor. He said, you've got to see an allergist. I said, I don't have allergies. I'm not sneezing. I can't eat. And he glared at me with this loving look, but it was a glare. It was, go see Paula Davy. And so, you know, again, those moments where somebody looks at you and you just know it, it's not about them. It's about helping you. So I picked up the phone the next day, called her, went to the appointment. She asked me questions for three hours and then said, Miss Kent, you know, you are really sensitive to chemicals. So thank goodness for the compassion of a stranger, right? Absolutely. To connect. Absolutely. We, we all need that. And sometimes we need to be that person that can see. And if we know somebody, you know, make that connection, right? For, for people. Absolutely. You know, when you asked me how I got through the bubbles, because I'm not even talking about the bubble now, I was still walking on the street. But when you asked me about how I got through the bubbles, it was absolutely without a doubt the sheer power of human kindness. Wow. So now you're an expat and you travel the world. And yes, but you yes. were, but yeah, I'm, if you could tell us a little bit about how different your life was, because you weren't traveling, you were stuck in, in, a, in what you describe as this, as this bubble, right? So yes, well, I hadn't gotten at the point we're talking about now, I hadn't gone in, I was still walking the streets, etc. But things got worse. Uh, I was holding well in the summer, holding up, and we were all pleased, doing everything she said. But then the winter came. And for a chemically sensitive person in a place like Michigan, that's very difficult because everybody turns on their gas or oil-fired furnace, forced air. And, and then their wood smoke is coming out of their chimneys. And that, that was it. I really, really went downhill couldn't have much near me at all. And um, I couldn't be outside because of the wood smoke. I couldn't be inside because of the forced air heat. And that's when she looked at me and she said, I don't think you're going to make it unless you go into a room with nothing in it. And we just wait. And the question that I didn't ask because I was too scared to ask was how long? <laughs> mm, I was just thinking that. Yeah, like how, how long does she mean? But I didn't ask it. Something told me, just do what Paula says, do what Paula says. So within four days, I was in a room on a chair, a wooden chair with a lamp in it and uh, another chair. And that was it. Nothing else. And I just sat there day and night. Wow. That must have felt very isolating. Yes and no. That was the miracle of the whole thing. Um, at some level, I knew my entire body and mind were longing for that. I knew that life had been overwhelming for me from the very moment I was conceived. And I, I think my whole being was saying, just give me space so I can start to heal at the deepest level. And I got confirmation of that one day because there was nothing to do. I couldn't touch a book. I couldn't touch a pen, paper. There was no phone. 
um, a friend made me a wooden phone and it was outside the room, but even the wood, I'd get pain going near the wood. I could talk for 20 seconds. So it really was just sit on a chair day and night. And yet there's one thing you don't lose in a situation like that. You've got your awareness and you can start noticing a lot of things that you can't notice when you're driving and going here and talking to this and doing and talking to this person. So one day, Neely, I was getting ready to go to the bathroom across the hall. And uh, I knew I, I couldn't breathe in the bathroom because there was a fiberglass bathtub. It was a new apartment and I knew I'd get pain, but that's okay. I had figured out how to hold my breath for 30, 40 seconds. I could get in and get out quickly. And um, so I had done that countless times. And I went to put my hand on the doorknob to go over to open the door and go to the bathroom. And I got the abdominal pain. Hmm. And I said, wait a minute, why am I having the pain now? I'm right in the bubble. And I said, well, maybe it's because I'm scared of what could happen if I stop, if I don't hold my breath. I said, no, that's not possible. I've done this hundreds of times. I do it six, seven times a day. I don't have any pain as long as I hold my breath. So I said, let's try it again. And I just put my hand slowly toward the doorknob. And even before I got to the doorknob, I had the pain. So I kept doing it over and over. And then finally I went, I said to myself, I'm scared. I'm scared to go out of this bubble. I'm scared to go out. And then I just closed my eyes and I just went in and I just felt, I'm terrified of life. Hmm. I'm terrified of it, everything. So it was isolating in one sense, but in another sense, it was coming home to really what I had lived with my whole life, but didn't know how to feel, didn't know how to get through. And so it was an extremely healing environment for me because I had, I had the courage, I, must, I will give myself that, I had the courage to look at all of this. And I had all kinds of friends who often had to take their clothes off and put a sheet on, but they did whatever it took. And they would come in in the evening and we would discuss what I was learning about this illness. And uh, with their support and my courage, little by little, I started to show some tiny signs of improvement. I'm listening to you speak and I just, I'm speechless because it just, you know, when you're talking, I could feel part of the pain that you had felt at that moment, you know, and it's, yeah, I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that. But like you said, it needed to be done. And the awakening, like you could actually feel all the all the changes, which is remarkable. It's sort of like, if this sounds like from being on the outside of the story, it sounds to me like it was an entire um, body, spirit and soul like reboot. It, it, absolutely, absolutely. I look back on the car accident and I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I would never ever have explored this depth of pain. I was too much of a Sagittarian. I wanted to change the world. I had gotten my master's in social work. I wanted to change everything. <laughs> I would not have slowed down enough mm. to really discover how frightened I was. Yeah, scary to think what could have happened, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how long did you live in this, in this state where you had to um, be apart from all these objects and from all these, these things around you? Well, I've lived in many bubbles because uh, unfortunately there've been some pesticide exposures ac accidental along the way. And each time that's happened, my immune system has crashed and I've had to go back into bubbles. So this was the first bubble, but there were many that, well, not many, there were four or five that followed this one. And this one I was in for a year, but uh, the miracle, I mean, <laughs> the, the utter miracle of the whole thing is that a man came into this bubble and, I mean, try to imagine a man walking into the bubble, seeing a woman sit on a chair and just sit there. That's all she does. Day For and year. Night. Yeah, no bed. There was no bed. I just leaned the chair against the wall and this man comes in and looks at this and decides he's in love with me. <laughs> oh, how beautiful is that? I mean, I couldn't believe it. After he left the first day, I said to my friend that came that night, I said, I want to marry him. I said, I better not get my hopes up. Oh my God, how could he want me? Look at me. And my friend said, you've got to trust. 
I said, oh, I don't know if I can trust. I mean, look at me. Why would anyone want me? He said, trust. She said, trust, trust. I said, okay. So I just sat in the chair saying, I trust, I trust, I trust, I trust, I trust. And the next day the phone rang and I picked it up. As I said, it was outside my room. And he said, hi, this is Corey C. I mean, this is Corey. I had a wonderful time being with you. Could I come back and visit you again? And that was 42 years ago. Wow, that's beautiful. And I mean, he had to change, right? He had to like, be very careful when he came to visit. Like, what are some of the things that he needed to? Oh, what this man has sacrificed for me. I mean, my God, he deserves a Nobel Peace Prize, some kind of prize. Oh, he had to give up a lot along the way. You know, for three years, he had to devote himself day and night to keeping me alive in the middle of deserts. Oh, this the story is... Wow. unbelievable that one human being would do it for another with no complaint ever and one time I looked at him and I said um doesn't it bother you like um doesn't it bother you being like married to an invalid and he just looked at me and he said oh I know you're gonna get well oh and he said besides I love you it was just like what else would I do and this is in true Nelia of all men who are married or with environmentally Ill, Ill women, many, many environmentally ill people have lost their primary relationships, many. And understandably, the partners just can't cope with the level of restriction. But I was very blessed. I mean, it was, he just jumped in. He's a, he's a bright man. He's a, a psychologist and a naturopathic doctor. And he just said, we're going to find new ways to help you. He, he said this avoidance thing, you know, I, he said, I get it. I know why it's recommended, but we've got to find ways to help you heal that aren't just about avoiding because you're just going to be out you know, by yourself in a room the rest of your life. So he poured himself into energy healing and to seeing how we could use my sensitivity. He said, let's take advantage of your sensitivity. What if we, what if we send you a color, an energy of a color? What if we worked with your thoughts? Let's take advantage of how sensitive you are and see if we can start turning it around. And oh, was he smart? I responded to ev everything. It was energetic, homeopathic, color, anything. I, my body just went, oh, I'm better. Oh, I'm better. And that gave me so much hope because it's so different to see yourself get stronger as opposed to just having to stay away from everything. So not only did he accept the situation and love you, but he actually helped you. Absolutely. He, I, I remember the day he looked at me. I had almost died. It was years later. It almost died. I mean, I really, really was seeing, I was in the death process and he had to put his hand in my hand and hold me tight. And he looked me right in the eye, very close to my face. And he said, breathe with me. I said, I don't want to. I'm too tired, too tired. Mm. He said, breathe with me. Follow my breath right now. He said, I'm tired, Corey. I want to go. He said, right now, start breathing. And uh, so I followed his command, came back to life. And after it was over, he looked at me and he said, that's enough. We have you in the middle of nowhere. We're in a forest. There's nothing. You're in a room with nothing except one wool blanket. And you almost died. He said, it's time. We got to find other ways to get you stronger. What a beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you. That does not sound easy, girl. I don't even know what to say. Like, it does not. How does your, even though in the good moments you could see the awareness, how do you mentally process all of that time being away from, from what we would call normal surroundings and normal life? Like, how do you get through that day by day? Um, well, there are days, or I wouldn't say days, that would be an exaggeration. There are moments when I feel sad uh, I can feel the tears coming to my eyes right now. I really would have loved children. And I really would have loved to, you know, change the world, you know, have a career. And uh, I lost my 20s, 30s, and most of my 40s. I mean, the minute I was able to get into a public building again, oh, my God, I was, you know, I was just on fire. Every, I'd go everybody, everywhere, every hospital, every university saying, I want to teach, I want to teach, please let me teach. And you know, I was so passionate, they let me. So I got to do tons of very wonderful things like teaching medical doctors how to look at an illness from a whole person point of view, not just a drug point of view. So, but, but 
the reality is I did lose from the car accident all the way to when I was 47. So I lost out on you know, the, the years where a person is moving forward with their dreams of what they want to do in the world and in some cases having children. So yes, there are moments when I cry and miss all that. But to be honest with you, I, I look at, uh, I just look how far I've come. Mm. You know, I look at the person that, you know, when I was a little girl, my mother had to pay me 25 cents to look up. I was terrified to even look at anybody. If I looked up, she'd give me a quarter and then I put my head right down again. And I look now to where I am and all the intensity of what I went through and the courage it took and the bravery. And I say, okay, Marianne, you didn't get a normal life but you got a chance to really grow and you didn't throw that chance away. Yeah. The work that you're doing is so important. Like you said that you missed the chance of changing the world and doing that, but I think that's exactly what you're doing. I had never thought of it until right now. You know, I had, you know, when you're young, you think, well, I'm going to be in charge of this and I'm going to have, you know, develop this new policy and all that kind of stuff. Well, that didn't happen. (laughs) But I never thought of it till now. There has been some service to the world. That oh, has been of course. Mentioned. Absolutely. I'm glad that you're noticing it as we're talking because, yeah, it almost sounds like this was your, you know, it's so, I can't imagine and horrific of everything that you went through and how weak you felt it, you know, in those moments. And, but wow, like how far you've come you have you have changed the world you are helping people this is not a topic that is is talked about a lot Mm -hmm. so all the people that you've taught and all the you know interviews you've done and i understand that you did a documentary um produced by the bbc i would love to watch that what is it called if you don't mind oh well i didn't produce it the bbc right unfortunately Unfortunately, they don't have it. I've called them. It was done in 1989. Mm. And I called them because a lot of clients said, Oh, I'd love to see it. And uh, they said, No, you know, before blah, 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 we didn't keep it in digi digi something form. And that was the end of it. But I do have I do have I've been on three TV shows. And uh, I do have some of the footage of one of them. Maybe I even have the BBC. I'm going to ask Corey. I might have it. Yeah. So I'd love to watch some of that because I just, I think it's phenomenal. Yes. I'm going to ask Corey. I think I even asked them to put it in. I'm going to ask Corey, but so I didn't produce anything. These TV right. shows came to us and, uh, and they asked me to speak in them uh, probably because in part, a lot of the EIs, that means environmentally ill people, were too sick to have anyone near them at all. But I was at the point where I could be around them and could sit next to them while they interviewed me. So I did a, a fair amount of talking. And I just, I want you to know that, you know, from an outsider listening, listening to your story, that I want you to believe that you have made change. You have created change in the world based on, you know, through your story by making people aware and coming and being brave enough to talk about it. And like you said, you're very courageous. And I think you're teaching so many things. And, you know, one of those being avoidance isn't always a good thing. Like I know, in personal experience with avoidance, it's only caused me turmoil, you know, and as difficult as it is, I think, and as afraid as we are to face certain things and go through certain things, like I have, I have very strange fears that I have to deal with daily and avoiding it just blows it up. It just makes it uh, bigger. Absolutely. But I, sh- I should clarify when Corey said we've done avoidance, mm-hmm. what he meant was we've done what all the doctors told me to do, which is stay oh. away from everything. And yes. he was trying to say, we can't get you any more away. You know, you're in a room with one wool blanket in the middle of nowhere and you still almost die. He said, we've done the avoidance. We've done it. We've done it. We've done it. Now we have to see what actually helps you be less frightened to be alive. And that's where we started. I but I agree with you. If, if anything, I'm teaching, I think um, I'm teaching people in my work with them intuitively, and I should, I should, for your reader's sake, explain a little bit. Is it okay if I just tell one story now? Of course. Okay. Right after that time in New Hampshire, when, you know, it really was very, I, I really felt I couldn't go on. I said a prayer. I just called out and said, if you'll find a way to turn this into something that helps people, then I'll keep trying. 
you know, just like, just like this plea and annoyance and just come on, you know, do something, help me do something with this. And well, nothing happened. I was still as sensitive the next day as I was the day before. But six months later, two friends told me I had to go see this healer. And I didn't want to go because I said, there's nothing a healer can tell me. I'm environmentally ill. We're doing the best we can. There's nothing. And they were very furious. You must go, Mary. I said, okay, I'll go. I went, I sat down in front of her and she looked at me and uh, she said, do you realize you're extraordinarily gifted? Mm. And I said, I looked at her as if to say, are you crazy? I'm sick, don't you? But I, didn't, I mean, I wasn't that impolite. I just kind of went, no, no, not really. And she said, do you realize how sensitive you are? And I rolled my eyes because I've heard that word so many times. I just rolled my eyes. And my husband said, do you mind not using that word? She doesn't like that word. <laughs> and then she glared at me and she said, you've been given a gift you could be helping people, but you're throwing it away. And I remembered the prayer. I went, oh my God. Mm. And she, she said, now do you want to learn how to turn this sensitivity into something that helps people or not? And this is how she talked to me. I said, oh, I want to learn. I want to learn. And we got back in the car. And she said, well, come here next Wednesday at 11 o'clock. We got back in the car. And my husband said, you sure you want to learn this? <laughs> and I said, Corey, I don't have any idea what she's talking about. Nothing. <laughs> I have no idea what she's talking about. But I said, if she feels there's some way that I can help somebody rather than just spend every minute of my life trying to survive, then I sure want to know what the hell this is. <laughs> so we came back the next week and she told me, bring a photo of someone who's sick. So I called my mother. I knew my nephew wasn't well, but nobody really knew what was the matter with him. As it turns out, he was a carbon copy of me, chemically sensitive. Anyway, I had the photo. I brought it in. We didn't know what was the matter with him. And she said to me, okay, pick up the photo and tell me what's the matter with him. I said, oh, well, I don't know if you heard me, but we don't know what the matter, we don't know what's the matter with him. She said, pick up the photo, open up your chakras and tell me what's the matter with him. I'm like, I can't fight with this woman. She's so fierce. And so I, I just literally said to myself, I know there's a chakra at the bottom and I know there's a chakra at the top of the head. Will those two open? And if there are any others in between, would they open too? That's what I said to myself. Then I picked up the photo and I literally, Nelia went, <gasps> and I held my throat. I held my liver. And I went, oh, oh, I was feeling everything going on in him. And she looked at me and she said, you've been doing it your entire life. Everybody's pain is yours. You can't tell where you end and someone else's begin, begins. Now it's time to finally make use of this sensitivity and help others. Wow, interesting. So that's how my whole, for then for two years, I just asked every friend I have. I, fortunately, I have a lot of friends. I said, can I practice? Can I practice with you? I've never accepted any money. Just practicing, going inside their body, feeling where the energy was stuck, feeling what emotion was stuck there, feeling what trauma was stuck there. It's called cellular memory. The cell retains the memory of the painful stuff. And uh, I, you know, they kept saying, it's so accurate, Mary. It's so accurate. I never told anybody that it's so accurate. And I said, oh my gosh, I really can help people. Mm -hmm. So that was the start of my working with people privately. And as soon as I was strong enough to get into buildings, I went into hospitals and universities and said, can I teach this stuff? I love it. And thank you for doing that. It's, it's You're amazing. welcome. Um, I know that I'm, I'm very grateful. I know that there's a couple of things you want to share with the audience to be able to help them as well, because, you know, you're just, I love how you're doing it. You're just helping everybody with, with your story and, and, and teaching us. Um, so if I could talk a little bit about that, maybe you can elaborate a little bit. That'd be perfect. So thank you. Um, I know that you have developed um, emotion, an emotional freedom technique, or what some people call tapping. So if you yes. could talk a little bit about that, I know that is something that you would like to offer to the audience listening today. And I so appreciate that because... Oh, I'd love to do it. I'd love yeah, to. Thank now, you. just your audience will uh, know that emotional freedom technique was, many of them will know, was developed by a Stanford engineer, I believe he was, uh, Gary Craig. 
And then Gary got it going. And then a family called the Ortners, uh, Jessica Ortner, Nick Ortner, and Alex Ortner, uh, two brothers and a sister, they really pushed it into the world. Mm -hmm. So now emotional freedom technique is all over the world, really in schools, uh, it's in lots of places. They've done a wonderful job. It's called tapping. It is a simple process of tapping the end point of acupuncture meridians while you say the words, uh, you know, that uh, trauma when my dog died, I was so upset when my dog died, my heartbreak when my dog died. And what Gary and these people taught us is that if you say the words about the challenge, whatever it is, I can't lose weight, I get whatever. Mm. If you say the words while you tap these points, you reduce the intensity in the body. You literally take all the oh out of it. And when that goes, a lot of times the, the problem goes as well. So is that clear what I just said? Yes, actually. Okay. So they developed it. Of course, I had, they, they're the ones who are most famous, and so they should be for all they've done. All that I did, I've done tapping for years to help myself, was see what would happen when I make an intuitive connection with somebody if I did the tapping inside their bodies. Now, keep in mind, I've been going inside people's bodies since uh, 1990, and feeling where the energy is stuck, feeling what they're holding on to, their thought, their emotion, the memory of the past, and helping them feel their way through it. That's my work as an intuitive therapist. But I also want to do as much as I can to actually release the content, not just invite them to feel it and breathe through it, but to actually release it right on the spot. So in a nutshell, one day we were living in Ecuador. My husband had severe severe pain. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to call an ambulance in Spanish. And I just thought, why don't I go in his body? And why don't I tap for him and just say the words I hear that he's saying to me? So I just went in his body and I started to tap on my own body, saying the words I heard from him. And in oh gosh, two or three minutes, he said the pain's gone. And it had never gone that fast. And he's never had that since. And it's 10 years ago. So I said, oh, maybe I've come on to something here. So I just asked clients, can I practice, you know, just rate the trauma, tell me where it is on one to 10. Let me go in your body. Let's see if we can get this down. And over and over, to my amazement, clients would say, it's at two, it's at one, it's zero, it's gone. Mm. Fears that they had had their whole lives, car accidents that had terrified them. So I, I just thought, hmm, why is this working? And as I said to you before the show, I came up with two answers. I think they're both true. One is the power of love. See, we all, when we're concerned or upset or sick, we tend to feel cut off from love, whether it's love of another, love of self, love of spirit. We tend to pull back and pull away from the power of love. But when I'm making an intuitive connection with my client, I'm loving my client. I'm right there in their pain. And I'm not running. I'm just staying right there. So I said, that's probably one reason why we're going from 10 to zero in three minutes. But the second reason, and I know this is true, is that when I do the tapping, I'm inside their body and I'm hearing the content that they would not necessarily know how to say themselves. Let me give you a quick example. A client of mine was in a very, very serious car accident last December. He and his father were together. The man went through a red light and hit them. Uh, the damage was extraordinary. The bills are beyond anything you can imagine. My client's pulling himself back together, but if he goes out into a car at after 5.30 or 6, when it starts to get a dusk or at night, and he sees lights on an oncoming car, um, his, his body starts shaking. He remembers the trauma of the impact. So I went in his body and I started to tap for all of it, you know, the lights, the terrifying lights, etc. And then all of a sudden, he said, I'll kill him. I'll kill him. I'll kill him. And that's just what he needed. He just needed to get to that. If you had asked him, he's a lovely man. If you said, do you feel angry? He would have said, well, what's the point of feeling angry? He went through the red light. But his body did have the feeling of how dare you almost kill me and my father? How dare you? Stop it. 
So we were able to touch on that. He's just listening. He doesn't have to do a thing except breathe. I keep doing the tapping. And at the end, I said, where would you rate the trauma? I had asked him between one and 10. He said, 35. He said, that's how terrified I am. He said, zero. I said, what does that mean? He says, I can imagine the lights and they do not bother me. So that... That, that convinced me of that, okay, he wouldn't have gotten to that. I'll kill him. How dare he? He wouldn't have gotten to that on his own. He's too, he's too kind and simple a fellow. He, he just, but his body was saying that to me. And all of that came out. He didn't have to deal with it. He just had to listen. And bang, I said, where is it now, John? I'm making up a name, of course. And he said, zero. And he wrote me a week later. He said, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine in a car now. So I wanted to offer it to your listeners. I I said, I know you said this would air in January, so I thought for January, February, and March, I would be delighted to do two complimentary sessions a week. It's very simple. The client, we just have a little dialogue ahead of time. They fill out a little questionnaire. They do a relaxation exercise. I send them for five minutes before the tapping, and then I jump in and do it, and it takes about 40 minutes, and we can usually do two upsetting incidents, whatever they are. Wow, thank you. That's very generous. Oh, I'd be delighted to. I love doing it. I love having a client. <clears throat> I had one the other day, a client who rated the, I had a client the other day rated the trauma at 100. I've never had a woman say anything or a man say that. I knew it was terrifying to her. And in less than five minutes, she was at zero crying her eyes out saying, I'm, I'm not scared anymore. So I think just by grace, I don't know how it happened. I've come upon something that really uses the power of love and goes to the darkest places in the tissue, gets that content to come to the surface and release it. And if there's any listener out there who has something that's been troubling them for years, please, please just send me an email and we'll organize the time. And like you said, you know, sometimes you think when people come up with these things that they're crazy, but you know what, when you feel like you're at, you know, this is something you really need, you will try it. You Absolutely. will try it and it sounds like it'll be successful. And so there is no reason not to try. Absolutely. And all they have to do, any listener who says tapping, I never heard of that. Just go on the tapping solution.com. You will see how this is all over the world now. Mm -hmm. It's on apps. It's in schools. The American Psychological Association has says it is an evidence-based therapy. There's enough evidence to support it and all psychologists can use it. This is not something that just somebody came up with and just hit the scene. It's, it's been really making its mark in the world for 20 years. That's phenomenal. Very interested in learning more. Thank you so much. Um, the only experience I have with tapping is doing it for myself. And even that helped me. Um, oh, yes. Most people just do it on their own. They love it. You know, the minute they feel their body getting stressed over something, they know how to do a round of tapping in 15 seconds and the, the stress will go down. So true. And I've done it on my son and he finds it so relaxing. It's mm. just, it helps him sleep better. It's everything. And so thank you very much. And I understand you also want to offer another thing to us, which is phenomenal. Thank you. Oh, I'd love to do this. I'm basically a teacher. That is my passion. And I'm a little frustrated because I'm in a country where I can't teach because I can't speak Portuguese well <laughs> enough. All I could do is say good morning to the students. And I don't think that's what they would come to the class for. So I'm always trying to find ways to, you know, share something that information that might be helpful. This is just a short recording in which I invite the listener to learn and practice the five core skills of personal growth and healing. And those skills are how to ground, how to get your energy down into your feet and on the ground and feel the safety, the stability and the safety of being on the ground. How to feel your core, the core strength in your body. How to feel a boundary, how to feel that you are protected that not everything around you can hurt you, how you can feel your own protection and how to feel your edge, which is the capacity to open that boundary up and let in what you want to let it in whenever you want to. And finally, how to access the power of the heart, the power of yielding your feeling, your capacity to feel to another and receive from another. These are core energetic skills. They're not just interesting concepts. There are very simple exercises you can do 
They can all be done in less than a minute. Most of my clients are doing them every day. Their lives have really changed quite a lot because they're not just lost in the problem. They know how to feel their feet on the ground, feel their strength, protect themselves when they need it, access their heart so that they can feel and receive love. So it's a recording which explains each one very succinctly, maybe a minute of explanation, and then gives you the energetic exercise to do. I love that. It sounds like small actionable steps that we can take part in. Like you said, every day, it doesn't take a lot of time, but you will definitely see the results. I mean, that's the perfect thing, right? Yes. And if anybody's been traumatized, Nelia, just your clients, your listeners probably know this. The minute we're overwhelmed, the first thing we do is try to get out of the body because it's too scary. It's too much. So when I connect with many of my clients, they've been traumatized by all kinds of things. So their attention is out of their body to some extent. They're, they're thinking, they're talking, but they don't really feel their body. So what we want to do when we're help, helping someone recover from something very upsetting is to get them back down into their body, feeling their strength in this moment, in this present moment. So they're not caught up in what happened 20 years ago. They can feel themselves in this moment, look at a bird, look at their child and stay present. Mm -hmm. Practice mindfulness for sure. Absolutely. So what, how is Marianne today? Uh, well, my Portuguese, I'm about to turn 70 and wow. Portuguese friends call me the eternal teenager, <laughs> <laughs> which I take as the ultimate compliment. And that's because I move very fast. I'm like a little... Yeah, energized energizer bunny everything I do is fast and I love to do stuff and I really enjoy my life and I just have to be careful mm. uh, for example when I'm on a plane I always have a mask on I if I have to travel I call and make sure they didn't spray a hotel room. I love to travel I I call and say did you use pesticides in the room I do eat all food that isn't uh, sprayed with pesticides. So I, I live a careful life. I would have to after how I was for so many years. But if you saw me, and you would, you would not know I had been sick. That's beautiful. And now you're an expat. Now it's like you're making, making up for the lost time that you were describing before. It's like you're yes. going out and you're, you're exploring and well, my husband turned to me before we were married. Uh, he turned to me and said, you want to move to Australia? And I, I said to him, I'm very bad on geography. I mean, I really am bad. I never know where anything is. And I just said, where actually is it? And he told me, I said, why, why would I want to go there? It's like 14,000 miles away from my friends and my family. Why would I want to go there? He said, I don't know. I think it'd be nice. Have a fresh start. You know, nobody would call you the bubble woman. You could start over. I said, oh, that's an interesting concept. So uh, right after I was married, I got on a plane by myself and went over there and tried to find a job. And I think once I got there and fell in love with it, I, I kind of never looked back. Um, Sagittarians are known for their love of travel. And that, 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 was, it, it, that was, came to the surface in me. You know, if we go to Australia, if we can do that, well, we can go move anywhere. So yes, I have been able to travel and live in a lot of different places. And I absolutely love Portugal. And I know you are by heritage Portuguese. And I was born here, but my family's from the Azores. So what part of Portugal are you in? I'm in Southern Portugal in Portimao. So Southern Portugal, our big city is Faro, where our airport is. Yes. And, I'm, and I'm about an hour, for, hour from the airport, a city of about 40,000 people. Wow, that sounds beautiful. So I have to ask, what's your favorite thing about living in Portugal? Oh, there's so much I love. I, I mean, I really mean it. I love it. Um, well, one, one, they they are very happy to have expats here. No problem at all. Um, just welcome, welcome us. Mm. Uh, they're patient because the language isn't the easiest language in the world. They're patient with us. Uh, the weather is yes. sublime. <laughs> just I, what what can you say 300 days of sunshine a year uh beautiful um for us we bio organic food uh the access to the organic food is beyond anything we've ever had in our lives really hmm. oh yeah if you saw what i just came home with um <laughs> 
for 30, 30 euros, you, you just wouldn't believe it. It comes right from the farm to the table, which is, you know, obviously the best way you can eat. It just comes right from the ground to you. And uh, let's see, I also love that um, they let us help them. It's a poor country. And those of us who come here do have more money. And many of us who come here want to be of service. And they do not fight that. They let us help them. Mm, yeah. So right now we have lots of people who are without work um, because of COVID. And we, my expat group that I'm involved in, um, we have 10 locations every single week where we collect food. And in my, my area that I focus on, in other words, it's right next to me, it's called Ferragudo. We have 30 families who haven't had work since March. And we've made sure that every single one of them has ample food. And that's all through the generosity of expats. That's beautiful. I love that so much. You guys are incredible. What a great lifestyle to have too. Yeah. And I mean, that part really matters to me that mm. for the first four years, all I did was take care of um, dogs of and cats of Portuguese like house people. sitting or oh oh my god oh god I wish that would have been heaven no it, these are very 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 poor mm. Portuguese families who have animals and they they're what the vets call old school Portuguese which means they view the animal as kind of just an object mm -hmm. that's the old school and uh, so if they have food they leave it they rarely leave water shelter was not really thought of. So I identified quite a few of these animals and uh, <laughs> approached the owners and befriended them. They basically let me onto their property. I'm so sure for four grateful. years, yeah, for four years, I just basically wow. paid everything, every vet bill, everything. Really? The chickens, 26 cats, uh, five <laughs> chickens, and about seven dogs. No, no, I have it on my website called Fiel and Friends because it started when I saw a little dog under a truck and he looked just like he was, he looked so bad. And I, oh. I came home crying. I said to my husband, what am I going to do? Long story short, I finally, finally got the owner who was an alcoholic and had never been to school. He didn't know anything to agree to let a vet come. Oh. And it took a while to get him to agree, but the vet came and said he has three months left to live, oh. but I poured everything into him. And uh, he lived three and a half years but Nelia, the best part of it is he was terribly traumatized because his first owner had abused him and he had been hit by a car. So he back leg limped. He was in terrible shape. He had had no human touch in 10 years. Oh, that's terrible. And I worked with him for three and a half years, every day, twice a day, meals, hot packs. He had about five beds to choose from in the garage, blankets, hot packs, you name it. Oh. And uh, at the two and a half year mark, he let me touch him on the head, uh, wow. tap. And by the time he died in my arms, I was able to massage him. If I wanted to stay oh. two hours, I could have massaged him. And I was just looking at his photo before I called you. And I, I said, you know, that, that is the biggest accomplishment of my life. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for doing that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're welcome. So my point is, they let us do it. You know, there are some countries where there would be a sense of, because I've lived in several countries, gringo, you know, you're the outsider. That is not the way it is here. As long as you try to get a few words out, like bon dia, tudo bem, blah, blah, blah. Um, they, they appreciate it. It's a very difficult language. And they, they let you kind of join in and be part of their lives. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, they, um, I'm saying that maybe because I'm biased, but I do find um, Portuguese culture is very open with their hearts as well. They're very kind, um, you know. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and as Fantastic. I said, I've lived in a number of countries, but I'd love to get to the Azores. I'd love to. People say they're beautiful. Oh, it is. It's just beautiful. Um, I've only been to Lisbon and the Azores. Um, I haven't been to any of the other ventured out yet, but. Uh, I would love to. I would love to travel a bit more and see what happens with COVID, right? Absolutely. We're all we're all waiting. We're all <laughs> waiting to get out of our homes and go. Every client I have is like one guy. She's not a client. She's a friend. She said, "I booked myself into the nearby hotel just for three nights, just to get the hell out of my apartment." <laughs> oh yes, I was thinking of doing the same. I'm like, maybe I'll go to the hotel where they have a pool and just you know. Like right now we're starting to uh, get into winter here and it's starting to get cold. 
So yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, wouldn't it be nice to just have a little staycation, but you know, down the road, right? <laughs> so oh, so many clients have done it. You know, so yeah. many clients have said, I'm just getting out of this apartment, you know, even if it's two nights away just to have a break. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, if you sure. come back, you must stay in touch. You must uh, oh, find absolutely. me. I can co I'll come to Lisbon to see you, but I suspect if you come back, you'd like to get down to the Algarve. Oh yes. Thank you so much. I hear it's beautiful there. It is. I've told you why I love it. So it's a good country. It is a good country for us and we're grateful. And you're still spreading your message across the world. So this is Oh, if I had a, if I had my choice, I, I kid all the time, you know, I, I love public speaking. I said it to a friend the other night. It's, I said, if someone told me there were 500 people down the street waiting for a talk, I would run and then I'd get there and I say, what actually am I talking about? Because, <laughs> and my husband kidded with somebody. He said, he looked and he said, honestly, she could teach a class of 500 people how to fix a carburetor. She doesn't even know what a carburetor is. <laughs> and I and I could see myself saying, we are so grateful for the power of a carburetor, aren't we all? And I wouldn't even know what the hell I was talking about. But fortunately, the stuff I try to teach is stuff that I have lived, lived and loved. So yeah, I, I do love it. And my book, which is the story of um, the you know, everything right back to the moment I was conceived and what I felt about coming into this world um, that will be out on Valentine's Day because it's called yeah. Love is the Healer. And it's about Corey finding me in that bubble and not closing his eyes to what, you know, to me. Oh, I would love to read that story. It sounds beautiful. Oh, I'll make sure you get a copy. My sister has them in her possession now. I'll make sure I get one. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I meet so many incredible people through this podcast and here we are, you know, and I don't, I'm, I'm a little bit speechless during this interview. I'm not usually speechless, you know, I usually talk <laughs> but there's just so much to take in. I'm just trying to think of, you know, I keep going back to the isolation that you must have felt. And, and how kind it was for your husband to, to open himself up to you like that. So, and to the other friends you see. Yeah. We I, have I, these I, angels in our lives, you know, and oh, you have the person at so the many. store and then you have the doctor and then it's just, yeah. The world. But you asked me, but you asked me how was I prepared for it? And I thought a lot about that because my mother taught me uh, to be kind. And my mother taught me to remember people. And, and to thank them and, and to remember them, remember if they had hard, had a hard day and call them up. I mean, that's just what I was brought up with. And the school I went to was very, very focused on kindness and charity. So to be honest, I don't think that would have all come back to me had I not um, displayed that in my life before I became so sick. I, mm. I, you asked, how did I get prepared? I got prepared because my mother and my school and my father taught me about the, the power of human kindness and they taught me to, to live it. And, and then when I needed it, it was right there for me. Mm, that's beautiful. And from before we start when earlier, when we were talking and you were saying how, you know, you were taking care of so many things, like even in your time in Portugal, uh, you were talking about saving animals and, and just all human kindness, just to animals, to people, to, to everything. And I think it's so important that we practice that it, it helps others, but it also helps us stay grounded. And it also helps us uh, continue to heal our own selves. Absolutely. I think probably, in a sense, I had to come home to myself and feel my own fear. But another way I had to forget, I had to release all concern about myself and just be available from my heart to others. And the more I did that, more and more people, I mean, you wouldn't believe the deluge of people. They read about me in a newspaper. Oh, I want to make you a bed. I don't like you sleeping on a chair. You know, I want to bring you water. Yes. I want you to have the best water. So it, it is this wonderful circular process of we open our heart and it just comes right back. In one way or another, at a time, maybe not at the right moment, as Joe Dispenza so, says so well, the universe may not give it right back to you in exactly the way you'd like it, but you stay open, you stay in a serving disposition, and he says, inevitably, you'll find that energy coming back. I agree with that 100%. Totally 100%. 
is there anything we didn't, I know you've got so much more to talk about, but is there anything that you really wanted to, to get out today and, and let us know about that we haven't been able to talk about? Let me just feel for a moment because it's such an opportunity to mm. be able to share. So I want to make sure I've covered everything. No, absolutely. Environmental illness is an illness that um, I, I swear to you, Nelia, you can almost collapse because every single second something can hurt you. And uh, it's, it's hard. It's a really hard, I, I can't lie, it's hard to feel somebody walk by you with poor perfume and you're sick for four hours. Or somebody has incense and you're sick for six hours. It's very hard to live like that. And there are times when you think, I can't cope. But I, I would say anybody who's challenged by something very severe to remember that underneath all that demand of coping and everything is the capacity of the human heart to give and receive. And any smile given will, I, I, I've seen it, I'm 70 years old, I've seen it come back. And it's just not losing touch with the heart, the heart that's prior to all the pain, all the pain, it's prior to it. It lives us, it will live us after we die. It lives us before we were born. That heart we can touch in any moment, no matter how extreme the situation can be. And I would say that's what I had to learn. I could no longer just collapse and say life was too frightening or I was not going to make it. You can't go much lower than 68 pounds. I had to take a breath, look at somebody who was looking at me and stay available to their loving energy and continue to give as best as I could, even with my fear. So I, I would just say to every listener, the heart is prior to profoundly more significant than whatever the challenge is. Mm, thank you so much, because there are people out there listening right now that perhaps um, are having a difficult time getting a diagnosis for what they're going through, right? So it's just don't give up you know, reach oh, don't out give to up. everybody and whoever you can. And if you're, if you're on the other side, be that person, be that light for somebody. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And especially with COVID people are overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed. We all have been yeah. just, my husband and I say, we're supposed to just give light. That's all we have to do. We can't solve the entire universe's problem with uh, a planet's problem with COVID, but we can give light every time we walk out of this house or every time we're on the phone and I assure you, it, it touches people at a depth that is so much bigger than whatever their pain is. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes we don't know the impact we can have on somebody by the smallest things. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't always have to be this big, you know, thing of wisdom every time. It, it, mm-hmm. It's the smallest things. And, and you don't know how it's going to change somebody, you know, just a simple smile can redirect someone who's at the end of their rope, you know, to walking the opposite way. It's just a distraction sometimes. And, and I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing with us, you know, your fears, your struggles, but your successes too. And, and all these tangible ways that we can help one another as, as human beings, you know? Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that so much. And you have taught me a lot today and, yeah, I'm sorry for all of your struggles, and I can't begin to imagine how isolating that felt for you. Um, you know, I, I, I can't, uh, but I just, I'm so happy that you are now, you know, able to be free and, and helping other people. It's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I, I love sharing and inspiring others in their own journeys and hearing about other others' journeys. I, I, I love it. To me, it's the food of life. So this has been a wonderful opportunity for me. The food of life. How beautiful is that? I it love is. That. It is the food. I love hearing people's stories and love, you know, hearing what they've done and receiving inspiration from them. So thank you. Thank you so much, Nelia. No, thank you. The pleasure was all mine. I really appreciate that. And keep doing what you're doing, you know, don't stop because it sounds like the world needs it. It really does. And thank you for the gifts that you're offering the audience. I do encourage everybody to take, you know, full like advantage of that. I think it's going to be phenomenal. And then share what you learn with others as well. 
Absolutely. That'd be great. So yes, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. I always get back to people promptly. And so yes, I'll get back to you and we can find a time um, for two people every single week in those months. And of course, the recording is available to anybody who's interested. Thank you so much, Marianne. It was great to meet you. Thank you, Nelia. Yeah, and I love it. And while you're out in Portugal, um, have some queijadas for me. Oh, I have to write it down. I haven't heard that. Queijadas, they're the custard tarts. Oh, I said like pasta de Natal? Oh, yes. That's another word for them. Pastage de Natal. Yeah. So that's... Oh, yeah. So do you, do you, do you like them? They're delicious. Yes. Do you oh ever God. sprinkle cinnamon on them? I haven't had that, but oh my God, they're so good. I mean, the problem is you can't eat one. You just want to keep going and going. I know they're so crispy on the outside. They're so good, but yeah, they're, um, they're good cooks over here. I mean, they know how to cook the Portuguese. <laughs> I'm sure you'd agree, right? Yes, they do. Yes. They're good but, cooks. <laughs> But safe travels, you know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, know you for where, everything. Yeah. Do you know where you're gonna you're gonna be next? No, no. This I, I every time Corey says, "Oh, hon, this country looks very interesting," I glare at him, and I, <laughs> but but I and I point out the truth. I said, Corey, at our age, you know, we were blessed with children, so we don't. It's not like we have a son that can come over and help us. Mm. I said, at our age, we have to, you know, we have to have community. And we've established that here. We have demonstrated oh, that's that. That's so great. Well, if oh, I'm we, ever in Portugal, where you're near the Algarve, right? I'm in the Algarve. Yeah, I'm so right in the Algarve. Have, yeah. <laughs> but if you're in Lisbon, I'm only a three and a half hour bus ride away. So please, please let me know if you're coming. And if you're in Porto, it's a, it's a 45 minute plane ride. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And you have you're welcome, Nelia, as well to come to Canada. You know. <laughs> oh, believe me, I want to. I want to. And if there's anything else you need from me, or I mean, if you look and say, oh, when I'm releasing it, I don't know what a podcast person does, but just let me know and I'll get it to you. Thank you so much. I so appreciate that. Thank you, Marianne. It's great to meet you. Thank you, Neil. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.